Hey, it's Jay. I wanted to extend a special thanks to those of you who have listened and left reviews on iTunes for this podcast. Please leave a review if you haven't done so already. We sincerely appreciate it. We're producing this show independently, and unfortunately, that is not free. We have to pay for digital hosting space, software, equipment, websites, and travel out of our own pockets. But we'd love to keep this show going as long as possible. Please show your support for this podcast and give it life by making a donation to www.bigbuckregistry.com forward slash donate or pledge your support by visiting www.bigbuckregistry.com forward slash pledge. You can also find our app in our Apple App Store called Big Buck Deer Hunter 2015 and in the Google Play Store for Google and Android devices. Thanks for your support and enjoy the show. Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Deer Hunting Podcast, episode number 125. Ohio's new number four, Whitetail, Mark Hammer, and the Hammer Buck. Big Buck Registry is a virtual museum of hunting stories. We preserve a piece of Americana by interviewing and recording hunters about their hunts and experiences from across the country. And who knows, maybe we'll learn a thing or two along the way that'll help us take our hunt to the next level. Hi, this is Jean McFall, a finalist of Extreme Huntress from Boise, Idaho. You are about to listen to one of my favorite hunting podcasts of all time, the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Deer Hunting Podcast. This is Jim Berlin from Western Extreme, and you're listening to my favorite Big Buck Registry deer hunting podcast. Hey, everybody, this is Stephen Fuller from The Hunting Ground. You are listening to my favorite podcast on the internet. To the Big Buck Registry, the Big Buck Deer Hunting Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Deer Hunting Podcast. My name is Jay Scott, and I am joined by my good friend, Dusty Phillips, my brother from Ohio. What's happening, my friend? Oh, man, just uh, still looking back and thinking about the memories that were made in New Hampshire. Well, didn't we have a good time? Oh, man, we we had a freaking blast. We didn't eat. <laughs> I saw it here. You didn't. <laughs> Um, but I think between the three of us, over a four-day stint, we saw one deer. Right. But uh, I think the Jeep ride's what made it that much more memorable. <laughs> you know, I still have yet to post our exclusive video footage <laughs> of our Jeep journeys on the deep woods of New Hampshire. But I, I guarantee you that as soon as we do, it'll it'll go quite far. Did you see the, I, I did a courtesy video for you today. Did you see that? Yeah, absolutely. The porcupine running wild in New Hampshire. Yes. I think one of your questions on our New Hampshire ride was, can we shoot porcupines? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, you could. And so did Greg. And Greg, he's like, well, I guess, yeah, well, I guess you could. Why would you? So why would you? <laughs> You know, what's funny is when I hunted North Carolina with my good buddy, Bob, I asked the same question when we got, we actually weren't, weren't hunting deer. We we're hunting uh, hogs. I said, can we shoot the armadillos? And they looked at me kind of funny. I said, well, you could if you want to, but why would you? Right. Same kind of thing. Yeah. So, just uh, something that I, you don't see in Ohio. That's for sure. Yeah. So I get, I don't see armadillos in New Hampshire. So I guess it's the same kind of philosophy. <laughs> But I, you know what I shot down when I went to North Carolina? An armadillo. Did you? I did. Nice. They wouldn't let me take it home. 
I was very, very bummed. Yeah, right on. You know, I, I seen something on the internet, and I'm gonna bring this up right here on the on the podcast and and see if it's uh it's, it's quite comical, really. All right. Yeah, you know them e-cigarettes. Yeah, is that the the ones with the 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 fake smoke and all that stuff? Yeah, you like put the juice in it. Okay. Yeah, I've seen those around. I've seen some people. Friends of ours are smoking. I, I, I never asked what they were, but right. I just uh, I just happened to be scrolling through social media. You know, how social media is. Yep. I come across a post a little while ago that said that uh, this guy had posted that he put dough and heat urine in his electronic cigarette. Okay, and <laughs> he said it didn't do him much good. <laughs> I assume he didn't smoke it. Was he in, intending to to smoke in a, a a big buck or something? Is that? Oh, I I, I don't quite know, Jay. But uh, all it said was he put uh, Dylan Heat urine in his e cigarette, and no success after smoking on it for quite a while. <laughs> That's awful if he tried to smoke that. I could see like maybe doing a, a, a smoke wafer of that stuff into the air and maybe trying to attract a big, de- a big deer to come towards you. But I wouldn't want to smoke it myself. I wouldn't want to inhale. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't want no part of it, really. Yeah. Well, Did you imagine what his breath smelled like later that day? No. No, I, I don't even want to even think about that. Might as well gargle with the stuff. Only on Facebook. Yeah. God. Well, we have a, a very intriguing story to tell on this show today, Dusty. Uh, we're going to speak with Mark Hammer. Mark Hammer is from your neck of the woods down in Ohio, and Mark is actually the owner of the number one whitetail in 2014, and it just turned out that it's become the number four all-time in Ohio for archery. Yeah, very nice. And, uh, you know, just looking through uh, some Racks magazines up and coming, I think uh, Mark's on the cover issue of the December Rack magazine. He certainly is. And I cannot wait to see that article. Um, but before we get to Mark, before we start interviewing Mark, and believe me, folks, this is one of those shows where you got to have a notepad. Mark is extremely detailed in the way he goes about deer hunting. So take a quick break, go grab a notepad, come back, because you're going to want to make a note of every little thing he does. And as you listen, it's very subtle, right? The subtle stuff that he does, um, but every single thing he does means something that makes him better in the field, Let's makes him more seclusive. He's hidden. He is non-scented. You can't smell him if you're a deer. Yeah, and uh, major detail and uh, precision about uh, scent control. Huge. Very, very big. Before we get to that, uh, we did have another call in, Dusty, and this one is from Texas. Let me play that for you. Hey, Jay and Dusty. Uh, my name is Jay Watt. I'm in uh, North Texas, uh, Monte County. Um, it's November the 16th. Uh, it's 1.20 my time. Just wanted to call and let you guys know. I just harvested the deer for the year. Uh, got me a nice uh, nine-point buck on the ground. Um, and it just so happens I was right in the middle of y'all's latest podcast when that buck come walking out of the woods. Um, shot him at about 125 yards. He ran about 30 yards and, and uh, expired right there in the brush. Um, so anyway, just wanted to give you guys a shout-out. Tell you guys what you're doing. Keep up the good work. And uh, good the deer this year. Talk to you later. Thanks. Jay Watt from Texas. How about that? He's listening to the podcast and he shoots a big buck as he's listening to our podcast. 
Oh, man, it gave me cold chills. That's very cool, man. Congratulations on a great buck. Yeah, that's fantastic. And he says his name was Jay Watt, I think. Wouldn't be the J.J. Watt from the Houston Texans, would it? I don't know. I don't know. Kind of cool, though. So, Well, Mr. Jay Watt, congratulations. And thanks for listening to the show, by the way. Uh, I'm glad it, I don't know if it helped you kill your deer, but if it did, um, so be it. And uh, thanks for listening to the show. Well, Dusty, what do you say we go grab Mark Hammer? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and another thing that I wanted to bring up, uh, Jay, is that uh, listeners get a chance. Uh, Mark's got a, a super great product on the market. You can find that at www.antleraction.com. Absolutely. It's a very unique product. It's You want to describe that a little bit, what he's got? Yeah, it's... Uh, you know, and it's uh, antleractionproducts.com. And uh, it, it it actually is, is very cool in a sense of form of rattling and, and using your can calls. Um, this, this particular rattling system actually mounts to the tree, and the way you control it is from up in your tree stand with a rope. And the, and the actual the, the uh, rattling device is mounted to the tree either down below you or the tree next to you, and it keeps your sound on the ground. It's kind of neat, and I don't know if this – I guess it would make a difference to a deer. I'm trying to determine whether or not it makes a difference overall. I guess it, I guess it could, is if you're rattling on the ground and you're in a tree, it would make a difference to uh, – I guess deer will, will somehow understand that it's on the ground and not up in a tree, right? Right, yeah. It just uh, – it makes it more realistic in my eyes, you know, uh, having the sound that's down closer to the ground, uh, you know, I, I don't – think that i've ever seen any bucks fighting up in the trees uh 20 foot up no. so uh, it does uh it does make a little more sense to have that that sound down towards the ground well i think what it does ultimately is it keeps the head the deer's head down on the ground instead of looking up into the tree where you are yeah you know and they can radar sound so well that right. uh you know it's one of the things that may just give you that edge to uh kill that big buck exactly well let's uh let's not waste any more time let's get mark hammer on the horn Mark Hammer, welcome to the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Deer Hunting Podcast. What's happening, my friend? Not too much, so thanks a lot for having me. Dude, we're psyched to have you on. You're a legend in your own right. Uh, you took uh, the, <laughs> the, the number one deer last year, and I think it was a bow hunting magazine. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. That's awesome, man. We, we love hunters that put that much energy into hunting period and happen to be a little successful. We kind of kind of like to dig into that a little bit more and find out how you did it. So. Well, con- congratulations uh, I, on that buck, I, by the way. Well, thank you very much. I, I couldn't be happier. I, re- I really feel blessed just to have an opportunity to, you know, to hunt somewhere where a, a buck that big actually lived. That's something that most people, you know, don't really get a chance at. Right. Yeah, a lot of a lot of people, including myself, have not had a chance to really even see a deer that big. So that's... uh not the first time I ever had, that's for sure. But you made it count. That's great. So, Mark, tell us a little bit about. I would have never forgave myself if I, if I let the opportunity get away. Right, that would have haunted my dreams. That's for sure. No doubt about it. Absolutely not. That that, that would that would be a uh, just. It would come back a night after night after night as you <laughs> falling asleep. So I've had nightmares about a lot of smaller bucks that got away. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fact. That's a fact. So, Mark, where are you from? Where are you hanging out these days? Well, um, I was born and raised just outside of Bowling Green, Ohio. Um, now I live just outside of Norwalk, Ohio, just, uh, and then closer to the northeast corner of the state. Okay, gotcha. And is that where you grew up as well? Yes, I, I grew up in north central Ohio. Gotcha. And, and what's what was life like growing up in, in that part of the, of the country? 
Well, it was usually a cornfield on one side of me and a bean field on the other, so there there wasn't a whole lot to do except for hang out outside. And I guess that's probably why I got into hunting so much. That was always readily available. That's a good place to be. I, I dig that. So soy on one side, corn on the other. Yeah, that's that was pretty much it. Of course, it alternated years, so right scenery yeah. changed a little. Sure. <laughs> as far as you could, as far as the eye could see, that that was the the habitat that you were growing up in. And it's it's very flat where I grew up. You could you could see literally see into the horizon. There's no no hills to speak of, and a lot of farm country. And the woodlots were really small. So I'm. I'm happy to get away from that a little bit, though. I've, I've, the area I've moved to is a, a little bit more rugged. There's some gentle rolling hills and probably twice as much woods as where I grew up, which is nice. Gotcha. And when, when was your first year hunting? Like, how did you get introduced to the sport in the first place? Well, I first started deer hunting when I was 13. It was my first year of gun hunting. My father, he was a fairly avid hunter. You know, he was mostly self-taught, but so him and I kind of grew up in the hunting world together a little bit, but yeah, he took me gun hunting when I was 13, and I did not get a deer my first year, but uh, I've got one every year since. Um, I'll be 40 here in December. Okay. All so. right. So you got a good streak going, and then you've – did your dad teach you a lot about hunting when you're growing up? Is is that who you would attribute a lot of your skill set to? Oh, for sure. I mean, I remember – he. I don't remember specifically, but he tells me for my third birthday what I asked for was to go coon hunting with him, and that was the first time I went coon hunting was on my third birthday. And I was tagging along with him ever since. He taught me how to trap and hunt and fish. That's definitely who I can give most of the praise to all my hunting knowledge to. All right, cool. And is your dad still with us today? He is. Actually, He's uh, I bought a 10 acres in southern Ohio a couple of years ago, and he's down there staying at my, at my place right now for a month hunting deer. <laughs> a month hunting deer. That's fantastic. Yeah, he, it's it's pretty nice for him. He takes about a month off this time of year and goes down there and chases all my bucks around while I'm up here laying bricks. <laughs> Is that what you do for a living? You're a, a bricklayer by trade? Yes, I'm a union bricklayer. I've I've been in the bricklayer's union for 14 years, I think, and I did some residential work before that. Gotcha. Very cool. So, Mark, what, what tell us about you, like your hunting philosophy. Like, Tell us about how you feel about the the world of hunting. Is it something that you're, it's like a right? Is it something that everybody should do? Is it something that if you haven't done it, you really should? Or is it just for certain individuals? What's your aspect or what's your perspective on that? Uh, I don't believe everyone needs to hunt. Um, I, I think anyone that wants to should definitely have an opportunity available to them for it. But I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that everyone needs to hunt. Um, I'm, I'm glad that we have a lot of sportsmen out there, but just the same, I'm also glad that other people have other interests. I mean, you know, if everybody wanted to ride jet skis, it would be awful crowded on the lake. And I feel a little bit the same way about hunting. I'm, I'm glad we have a, a lot of sportsmen and we could use some more, but I, I don't, I don't wish that everyone would do it. Okay. All right. Do you think it plays a, a big role in the tra- the tradition and the customs of the United States? Is it? it you think it should? Uh, you think it'll ever disappear? I I sure pray to God that it never does. I, I hope opportunities are still there for for my grandchildren and their grandchildren. I mean, I don't, I don't really know where hunting future lies a couple hundred years from now, but I'd I'd really like to think that you know that the legacy will live on. I mean, it's definitely part of our heritage and. 
I think it's good quality, sustainable meat, and it does, it's good ecology to maintain the herds, and I just don't see any reason why it needs to go away. Gotcha. I, I wouldn't be surprised, actually, if it doesn't have a revival, actually, with a, a lot of the like green meat movements and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I'm definitely with you. you. Know, sustainable yeah. living. I'm, yeah, for the fun. So I'm, I'm hoping that women, women are getting into the field more than ever, and hopefully they're, they're probably going to be our biggest boost in hunters' numbers is the, you know, the amount of ladies taken to the field. I couldn't encourage that more. This is the first year ever that I've had a non-hunter ask me, an adult non-hunter, ask me to take them hunting to teach them. And, you know, you, you where I'm from, you're always like, what's the angle? Why, why do you want me to do that for you? Because it's not a common question that you get asked all the time. So I, I, I dug in a little deeper and said, well, actually, it's because of all the this basically a new food movement. I want to learn how to hunt so I can eat these natural organic meats and I want to have access to them and have a better understanding of how it all works. And he's never done this before. So I was like, okay, I'm in. I will teach you how to hunt. I think we're seeing that at a lot of places. Yeah. So I'm with you, Mark. I think you're onto something there. I think that that might be the, the, the future of hunting right there is just free range organic meats. Exactly. You know, it's, you don't have to worry about them being pumped full of chemicals and steroids. And, you know, I think, I think a lot of people take a little stock in knowing where their food comes from nowadays, a little more than just a few years ago. And that's, that's good for us as hunters and and it's good for, for people in general as consumers. I completely agree. And I like the whole aspect, not just of the meat, but having a better understanding of your food and, you know, how precious it really is when you're taking an animal and that, you know, you, you better be really aware of all the things that go into that. So as you appreciate every morsel of food that you put in your mouth, basically. That's, that's referring back to what you said. If I thought everyone should hunt, I, I would really like it if everyone would go hunting once with a, with an actual hunter, not just with a shooter, with someone that they cared about what they were doing and about the animal and about, you know, the environment and the whole package. They give them a little better understanding of, of why we're out there. Hunters sometimes get a bad rap as, you know, just being a bunch of gun-toning, pure-drinking rednecks. And, you know, that's a bad stereotype that, that a little bit of education and experience could really help put aside. And, and, and let's just be clear on that is that there are some beer drinking deer hunting rednecks out there that shoot anything that walks and there sure are but that's not me that's not you that's not dusty but they're out there and i don't consider myself one of those nor do i choose to associate myself with that group so exactly there are a lot of brown it's down hunters down out there too and you know as as long as someone's following the the legal statutes I, i don't have a problem with how other people hunt i I, I don't choose to, you know, I don't shoot button bucks myself and I don't hunt with dogs just because I, it's just things that, that don't really appeal to me, but I, I don't begrudge someone who does those things as long as they're within, you know, legal guidelines. Right. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You know, that's, I think the more we put a value on the herd, the better off everybody is. So let's let's get into some of, let's get into some of your individual deer hunting strategies and techniques. Clearly, you you know a little bit about deer hunting. You've been taking a deer every year for the last twenty years. You just shot one of the most amazing bucks in America. Period. Last year, um, probably maybe the most amazing buck last year. And th- your techniques have to be spot on for this to happen. Yes, I understand. There's this whole thing about chance and luck. And certainly I know people that have never or went out once 
a big buck walked by, they shot it, and they thought that was deer hunting. That's not deer hunting, well. <laughs> as, as the rest well, of us I'm- understand. But let's let's talk. And I like to have kind of dusty, kind of uh, ask some questions here about how you set up, what what are your, how do you strategize, and where do you start? Well, about the luck, I tell you, on any one given day, I'd rather be lucky than good. But in the but when all the averages, you know, when all the percentages even out, you know, if you, if you really try to do your homework and and do the best you can. You're definitely going to be better off in the long run. But, you know, it's like any other sport, though. And any one day, you know, being lucky is probably better than being good, but that right. won't uh, add up in the long run much. So, yeah, I, I tell you, the, I guess the biggest the biggest thing for me is uh, trying to hunt somewhere where, where there's not anyone else that close. Trying to, I mean, I, I hunt the other hunters more than I do the deer probably because regardless of where all the sign is, in the daytime, the deer are going to be where they're not being bothered. And, you know, you walk through a woods and there's all the sign right here, but that's where there's a bunch of tree stands. Well, that's, I would rather go to the other end of the woods where there's not as much sign, but there's nobody bothering them because whether they're making the sign as much there or not, that's where they're going to be in the daytime. And, and I'm a scent control fanatic. So that's probably, those are probably the two biggest things I key on is avoiding pressure as much as possible. And, you know, and, and, and your own pressure, you know, overhunting stands is a terrible thing that, that a lot of hunters do. And I think that probably costs people with good spots more deer than anything else. Just uh, knowing there's a big deer in there and just not, not being able to stay out of there when the conditions aren't right. That's, that's a very important factor right there for sure. Let's get into a little bit about the hammer buck and, and what kind of um, riggings and, and, and clothing and, and run through your whole attire of your gear factor that you were using when you shot the hammer buck. Let's start out with, let's, let's say, let's get in your camouflage. What kind of camo are you wearing, man? Uh, I like, uh, I like Realtree AP myself for a pattern. I mean, there's a lot of good patterns out there and I wouldn't say I wouldn't wear anything else, but that's, that's the pattern I'm settled on and I'm pretty comfortable with. And I like Scentlock for my exterior layer. I've been wearing it for several years now and I've had pretty good success with it. I mean that with said I have a pretty ridiculous sun control regiment and I I'm confident enough most of the time if I'm in my tree and the wind switches, I don't think I need to get down. I've had I've had lots of mature animals twenty yards down for wind for me and not had any issue. So I mean that being said, if I can choose when I choose my stand, the wind will be right when I go there. But I'm once I'm settled in I it takes a lot to get me to get down. So I rubber boots of course and have to have rubber boots on and and I wear gloves and I spray everything down, myself included, before I get in the stand. And I have a bottle with me. I'm, I spray down again before I get out because there's no way you're going to sit in the tree for four or six or eight hours and not accumulate some scent on yourself just from your breath or from whatever. So I want to make sure when I leave them. I think that's something a lot of people don't think about. They spray down real well before they go in and get all scent free. And then they sit there for four hours and they touch all their steps and their string and everything on the way out. Yeah, Still scent free? I, I doubt it. Right, yeah, that, that's another great tip right there to spray before you leave out. What? Let's get into a little bit. Of that. Do, do you store your your hunting outfit in a particular way? I do have a. I didn't buy any high dollar scent um, containers. I bought some of the large totes at uh, at Walmart that have their you know, twenty gallon totes. I have several of those, and I I did put rubber gaskets on all of them when they have latches so that they seal up pretty much airtight and. I I bought some small ozone generators. They're twenty dollars a piece from Scentlock, and I have them in the in there. And they I think they do a pretty good job of keeping the stuff once I put it in there scent free. And and it's good for recharging your clothing. 
I mean, you're supposed to dry on high for an hour, it's not a lot of gear to recharge it, but if you store it in ozone, it cleanses it for you. Gotcha. I think that works yeah. out pretty good. And whether it works or not, it makes me feel better. So <laughs> right. yeah. confidence has a lot to do with it. Right, for sure. Absolutely. Now you got into you're saying a little bit about you spray down. Tell us what uh, what particular spray you use when you spray down. Uh, I'm a fan of Vtex myself from Tanks. Uh, I use I use all of it. Some I don't like the stuff that has the autumn scent mixed in, but I think Vtex works really well. I I know I've sprayed a decoy down with it and other things, and and watched deer physically touch it and not and not get any any signs of being leery at all. Yeah, I'm I'm a dead down wind products too. I I can't see as I really have a lot more faith in one than the other, but but a couple of them I've tried and they have a lingering odor to me. And if if, if I can smell it five minutes after I spray it, I I'm pretty sure the deer can smell it. So right, yeah, for sure. But, when you get into your season getting ready to kick off, what what do you do to prep your clothing? Well, if I buy a new set of clothing, I'll wash it in probably three or four times at least before it ever goes into the field. With with the course, uh, I usually use a dead down wind. Uh, laundry detergent and i here at my house for for a little i usually i'm a cheapskate so i go out after season when everything's on clearance and i buy all kinds of laundry detergent and in in my household from about two weeks before deer season starts until the end of season every load of laundry done is done in in that laundry so for all our personal clothing everything not just the hunting gear that way i don't feel I need to clean the washer and dryer out quite so much. I oh, wow. clean it out real good two weeks yeah. before season, and we use that clear through the whole season. And that way, I don't ever feel like it's contaminated. And of course, I run it through, I wash it, and then I rinse it twice. And after it's done, the last wash cycle, I put it through. I always rinse it twice, and then I store it immediately into the scent-free containers. And I don't spray the clothing down until I take it out. I know a lot of guys spray it down and line dry it. And I I don't spray it down until it's until it comes out of those. Okay, gotcha. I'm pretty happy with that. I do have some some silver silver sent away under layers that are antimicrobial and antibacterial. So that I'm not sure if that all helps, but I figure if it, every bit of it takes two percent away, then you know at the end of the day I'm maybe twenty percent better off than I would have been. Right. Yeah, Bow hunting sure. being a game of inches, twenty percent's a lot better than none. So. Oh, yeah, for sure. Do you use any soaps or shower gels or anything like that for your scent control? Uh, just just the standard variety that, that everyone would buy. I mean, I, everything I got is, is made for, for outdoorsmen to eliminate their scent, right? From my toothpaste, my deodorant, it's all. But I'm, I'm a pretty decent fan of the Dead Down Wind products, so I, I mostly use those. But as far as the soap goes, I, I do like to have a couple other brands because I hate using the same soap every time. It's I wonder if maybe it misses something that another soap wouldn't get. So about every third shower, I work in some wild game innovation soap. and No kidding. Maybe it'll break down something the other one didn't. I take chlorophyll pills to help. Uh, I don't know. There are a lot of studies say that they help remove some of the odors that your body naturally emits. No kidding. Hmm. You're, okay. the, you're the real deal on scent control. <laughs> yeah, so you... I get made fun of a little bit about it. At, at your, well, not so much the last year or so, but before before I got made fun of about it a little bit because you know I have a I have a special seat cover that I take on and off my car seat every time I go hunting, and I change my clothes when I get out to the woods again. You know, I have a special suit I wear, just a sweat suit I wear to the woods, and then I get fully dressed alongside the the road. 
So yeah, it's all it's all part of the fun for me. I mean, I I enjoy the preparation as much as I do the hunting. So. Mm. Right. I, I I think that probably makes a difference in when you go down to that detail that you're doing to that extreme. It's it's got to help you see more deer, especially when they get down down one to view and their cone. The, you know your scent cones being carried out. It's got to help. I, I think it does, and and I know the guys that I that I hunt with a lot are they'll go out and hunt their stands. You know, oh yeah, I seen eight deer this time. By the third or fourth time they hunt that stand in the season, they're like, yeah, I only seen one deer. Or I didn't see nothing. And I I don't usually notice any decrease in the amount of deer I see in one stand throughout the season. Actually, a lot of times the numbers just get higher and higher because the people in the surrounding stand just scared them to my area. So I I think the scent controls really works. I think what I'm doing really works. And every year I just try to pick one thing to make better. So putting the rubber gaskets a couple years ago in the scent containers, I think probably did a lot. If they're truly airtight seals and not just a container with a lid on it. Okay. All right. Yeah. Can we go back a, a little bit, just kind of rewind to your your uh, stand hunting strategy? You said that you shouldn't hunt it more than, than once. Is that what you said? Well, I just said that you shouldn't hunt a stand until it's until it's ready. I mean, if you got especially if you've got that stand that you know a big buck's using, people people, oh, I know that big buck's in that area and they just can't resist the urge to get out there. So they hunt it when the wind's wrong or on a, a day that's too warm for them really to be moving. And, and your, your best chance at a big buck out of a stand is the first time you hunt it and your odds are going to get worse every time because you're inevitably going to leave some kind of scent behind or you're going to spook him or spook another deer. And just, you know, every time you take a trip in and out of there, it's it's hurting your chances a little. So, I mean, you can save your best stands till the optimum time and no, if you want to go out and shoot a doe, great. Have a stand that you're planning on doing that out of. Don't don't be sitting in your big buck stand on you know opening weekend. And, uh, a doe comes by, I think I'll whack her, you know, for some meat. Well, that's that's a good strategy for filling the freezer, not so much for shooting that big buck. Okay, gotcha. Now, what about the uh, situation where, um, so you should if you if you do hunt it. You said to hunt it once, and let's say you did hunt it once. How much time do you think you need it, that area needs to recover before you can hunt it again? Well, I don't hunt a stand more than once a week unless okay. unless it's right now during the rut and and if there's a lot of activity. I mean, if you hunt a stand today and there's bucks chasing does, I mean, you got to go and eat in the area. You better get back in there tomorrow because you're gonna have a brief window at that. But I personally. The stands that I'll be hunting this weekend, I haven't sat in yet this year. But that being said, I have 23 stands up right now. So I do have quite a bit of options. So you can rotate. You can go from stand to stand and never see the same one twice in a week. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I can can do that. I can have a different stand morning and evening for for two weeks almost. Okay. If I wanted to. But but I I, I don't do it quite that sparingly. But. I do have stands here in northern Ohio and then down there from the national forest ground in southern Ohio. I, I have two-thirds of my stands are down there, and, and then I have a handful up here. Okay. So. And how long did it take you to, to get stands set up on these areas, and how much permission did you have to, to get in order to do that? And is, is some of this your own land as well? Oh, I, I do have two stands up on my own property. Um, I've never sat in either one of them. I've had the place for two years, and the stands are up, but I have – I haven't sat in it yet. I've just been getting that you're comfortable with the area and I put food plots in and they're, 
I've got a pretty good deer herd on my on my little ten acres that's coming off the national forest ground that surrounds me. And I might hunt it this year. I've got one one good buck on camera that's big enough to shoot. And if the conditions are right this weekend, I I might just sit in one of my own trees for the first time. But, but uh, down there, I hunt exclusively national forest ground. That's where I've I've shot three hundred and fifty some inch deer with my bow down there already, mm. and several other smaller. 120 some inch deer so i'm I'm pretty confident down there there's plenty of free free hunting for anyone willing to climb up and down those hills and it's it's a good time it's gotcha it's, it's more of woods hunting gotcha. up here's wood lot hunting down there it's 90 percent woods and 10 percent field okay that gives it a little different feeling it helps me sit on a stand all day when i know i'm a, a mile from the nearest house and it's solid woods around me it's I guess something primal about it. Maybe you're really you're really getting getting in tune with nature when you can't hear a car driving by or a dog barking. Or, right, uh, that's that's a good feeling. So, how do you decide? <laughs> you have 23 stands to pick from. How do you decide? How do you go about picking the one that you're going to hunt that day? Well, I said I'll I'll have a maybe 15 to choose from in either either location I'm in, and then it comes down to wind direction. That's going to eliminate half of them right there. That's that's the first go to. If the wind's wrong, I'm not. I'm not going to hunt that one for sure. So, and then of course, morning and evenings, and traditionally they say hunt high in the mornings and low in the evenings. And that, that does tend to hold true most of the time. So okay. that, that helps a lot down there. That wind direction has got to be 75% of the choice. All right. And what, what tools are you using to determine wind direction in that one stand location? Well, the, up on flat ground, it's pretty easy. You can, you can walk outside and see which way the wind's blowing and you'll have a, have a pretty good indication. Yep. You know, you want it blowing away from where they're feeding or bedding. And that's that's about all. But down in the, the hilly areas, you get a lot of thermal issues with the winds swirling and switching and bouncing off bluffs and cliffs. And so until you've actually hunted a stand once and, and risked it on a hunt, you really don't know. But I, I use milkweed seeds and I take those back with me and they're a very fluffy, super light seed that, to catch the smallest wind and they'll follow the thermals and you can let a couple of those go and you can watch them go for 60 yards. It's really amazing to watch them go the way you think they're going for 20 yards and then take a hard right and just go to 90 degree angle for out of sight. That's really eye opening to, to how thermals and, and different wind currents will work in those hills. It's, it's made me change how I hunt some of the stands because I thought I was hunting with the right wind and I was sadly mistaken. Gotcha. All right. So you, I mean, you you just get down to basics. You just take a step outside and you, f- you feel which way the wind's blowing. Basically, that's how you're going to decide generally how, which uh, it, stand to go to. You have to. I mean, you, you can listen. Yesterday I listened to the weather and they said Southwest wind and the stand I was in, it blew east the entire time I was there. Right. Out of the east. And I was like, that's not much farther. You can't get much farther from Southwest than that. So I, I go outside and look at the flag. That's, that tells me what to do. <laughs> That's it. All right. So, so you're not using like electronics. You're not using the weather forecast. You're you're just looking at the flag and see which way that's blowing, which is probably the best strategy there is for determining wind direction is just physically going and checking it yourself. I try to keep it as low tech as, as possible. I, I'm not one who puts 100 trail cameras out and monitors the deer around the clock. That's I, I mean, I don't have a problem with that. Good for people that enjoy it. I mean, I do have a trail camera on my property yep. just because I like to know what's going on there. But as for the other properties, I don't use them. And I, I think it, people think, think it makes them a better hunter using them. And I, I have mixed emotions about that. It, it might make you more effective as a killer, 
But I think sometimes people rely too much on them and it actually hurts their ability to, to read sign and, and to actually just become a better hunter, you know, on their own. And just get so reliant on the technology that you get away from what, what made people hunters in the first place. Gotcha. And when you say that uh, most of these places you're hunting, they're all from stands. Do you hunt any other method than stand hunting or is this it? That's the one way you decide to do it. No, I've, I've stalked and killed several deer on the ground. I think I'm probably six or eight deer with my bow. I've stalked on the ground, a couple of decent bucks. One of them probably 125, 30 inches, but I, I prefer to hunt on a stands. I, I have ground blinds, but I, I, I don't feel comfortable in them really. I mean, I like to, I'll turkey hunt out of one so I can shoot a turkey with my bow. But I personally, I just like being in a tree stand. I, I don't know why. A lot of guys have a lot of success ground blinds. I'm almost jealous. I just get kind of claustrophobic in one. I always feel like there's something behind me I can't see. Yeah. Yep. I totally understand. And are you primarily a bow hunter or is it bow and gun? Uh, pretty much a bow hunter. I mean, I have a gun and, and I'll take it out, but I rarely discharge it when I'm hunting. I, I use that time usually to scout for bow hunting. I, I carry the shotgun around and instead of sitting in a tree, I pick a section I've never been in, usually the National Forest ground, and I I just walked back and forth across it looking for next year's bow hunting spot. Gotcha. And one other question before we get into the, the hunt itself, the, the hammerbuck hunt, how much do you use mapping to decide and, and keep records of your knowledge over the, that you've acquired over the years, just different spots you've been to? How much is mapping important to you? Uh, as far as actual physical maps, like topographical, I have extensive sets of those that, but I keep a record of previous stand locations. And, and actually, with as many stands as I have, I have to have them logged on the map or I'll, I'll forget where some of them are. <laughs> so did I, and, and with rotating them every year, I'm like, man, did I take that stand down last year or is it still there? I, I hate to walk back a, two hours before light and get somewhere and have there not be a stand there because I moved it and forgot. Right. Right. No. <laughs> but that's a, yeah. That's a legitimate I keep problem. The weather conditions of what's. I, I keep a book of what stand I hunted and what the wind was and what the moon was and, and how many deer I spotted out of that stand. I try gotcha. to keep records like that. I, I'm not as diligent as I could be, but I, I try to keep a, a kind of a record for each stand. Okay, so you're kind of keeping a journal and a record and a, a, a giant map. You're hitting all the points that I've heard that – you know, there's uh, Dave Pribby, who is one of our guests on the show. It describes this continuum, this hunter's continuum. There's, you know, there's the weekend warrior, and then there's the one that that like lives and breathes this stuff with mapping and um, just knowledge and uh, journals in particular. And those are the guys that you see shooting the giant deer, like you did. So I'm going to put you on that that side of the spectrum, like the extreme hunter. And I, <laughs> I, I think, I think you've hit all those, those important points. Um, and, and definitely it's all leading me to, yeah, you're on this side. These are the types of hunters we want to pay attention to. Well, I think a lot of people, what I've been looking at more in the last few years is everybody looks at the full moon or the dark moon. And personally, I'm a fan of the dark moon if I can pick, but, but the, not just the phase of the moon, but the position that's, that's something I've been, I've been talking with some other guys that are, that are well-known hunters like uh, Adam Hayes and, and I don't know if you're familiar with Steve or Scott Hesker, a couple of fellows that live around Columbus. Yeah, absolutely. Both, yes. They've both shot a couple of deer over 200 and, and yeah, just, that's something to really pay attention to. I think I've been the last couple of years, I've been watching it more and more and I, I believe there's something to it about the, 
about the cycles of movement being greatest when the moon's directly overhead or directly underfoot. So that's, you know, that's just another, another thing to try. I mean, that's what's great about it is you know, there's a lot of knowledge out there if you're willing to listen to other people that have been doing it a long time. They have different ideas than you. It's really, really nice that you get some serious hunters together that really have a passion for it, exchange ideas. That, that, that motivates me. That gets me fired up just, just having that opportunity. Gotcha. All right. So you're, you've been following some of this, this moon movement and, and you, you are seeing some correlations and seem to think that through your studies, your own individual studies, that they're seeing some, some patterns there. I think so. I think, I think they're on to something. I, I was a little skeptical, you know, six or seven years ago, but I've kind of been keeping my own records and looking and like apparently the guys that have been watching it for 30 years know what they're talking about. <laughs> right. Okay. All right. Very good. Well, let's, let's get into the, the deer hunt itself of the hammer buck. Um, and I like to go play by play and really slow it down so we can get a real good, detailed, vibrant description of how this all played out. And I like to have our good friend, friend from Ohio, Dusty Phillips, who uh, has been listening and communicating here and he knows Ohio like you do. And I think he'd be a perfect person to conduct this interview during this phase. Uh, so Dusty, take it away. We'll do. Mark, what day are we going back to? Uh, the day of the kill. The one year anniversary of it is today. No good. This is the one year anniversary of the day I shot the buck. It was November 4th last year. So we're going back to November 4th, 2014. <laughs> kind of a, kind of an ironic day that, that you fellas chose to do this little, little interview podcast on your <laughs> yeah, anniversary. Oh, sure. Wow, yeah, that's that's, that's sure. pure irony right there. Sure. All right, and and this buck was killed in northeastern Ohio. Is that correct? Yes. Okay, that's so correct. we're going to northeastern Ohio, November fourth, two thousand fourteen, right. and we're hunting out of a tree stand. What are the conditions like? Let's. It, it was warm. It was fifty degrees already when it was time to go out in the morning, and it was. 20 plus mile an hour sustained wind. What what time did you head out to the tree stand that morning? I like to get in my stand a minimum of 45 minutes before it's light, but hopefully an hour before shooting light. That's, that's my goal. I I just like to give the woods a chance to complete, completely calm down. And, you know, I've, a lot of times it's that dark and you bump some deer. As long as they don't smell you, they don't really know what you are. You just push them off and you'll be in the stand 20 minutes and they'll be back under you. I mean, I've so many times it's gotten light out and there have been deer within shooting range walking around already, but I just, I wouldn't feel right going into a tree when it was 10 minutes before shooting light, knowing it's going to take the area half an hour to settle down and I just wasted some of my time. All right. Yeah. It makes sense for sure. So we're going in 45 minutes before dark. We got a 25 mile an hour wind. What happens? Southwest wind. Oh, that southwest. Was, southwest. That was the key. <laughs> gotcha. that's, that's what put me in the right tree that day. If it would have been, if it would have been straight south, I would have been somewhere else. So that, that little bit right there, that's where luck plays in some. I mean, if, if I wouldn't have had that wind, I wouldn't have went there. But, but in the same respect, that's the reason the deer was where he was, because of the southwest wind, it gave him the perfect opportunity to scent check the thicket I was hunting. So, gotcha. uh, I left so, here uh, about an hour and 15 minutes. I left my home. I had seen the deer in the summer with, with my wife and son. We, we go out in the, in the summertime, late summer, with a spotting scope. And we drive around a few of the spots I have permission and, and the surrounding thickets and, and we glassed the bean fields and we'd actually seen this buck only one time ever. And he was with a, another very large buck and we watched him and I grossly underestimated him. He was in velvet and 
I just really don't have much experience judging deer quite of that caliber. It was a half a mile away, and I said, that just got to be in the 190s. It's just a massive antler, and I was excited. There was a couple other deer in the, there was another over 200 in the area, and a couple more, about 150 or 60. So I was excited. So I woke up that morning. I'd, I'd been hunting in southern Ohio for four or five days with my father before that. Never saw a deer I was willing to shoot. Drove all the way home Monday night. Got up Tuesday morning to go to go hunting. It was 50 and windy, and I got to the spot I was going to hunt like an hour and 15 minutes before light and dressed in all my scent-free clothes. And I take a pretty long route to get in there. There's a, a lane that walks straight back, and I've tried it before. The deer... I think they know people walk that lane and they, they sit right where the lane hits the woods and you'll see the eyes and they'll take off as soon as you get back there. And I, I just think that they've patterned the hunters and they wait there to see if anyone's coming in that day. So I, I refuse to go in that way. I take a, a walk that's several hundred yards longer, but it doesn't take me by that point. And I, I got to my spot to the edge of the woods and I spray all down with scent killer again and crawled into my stand. It's probably 70, 60 or 70 yards in the woods right on the edge of a, like a three-acre thicket in a 40-acre woods. Um, I know it's pretty high. My stands are usually 24 to 30 feet, depending on the terrain and, and just, just how they lie. But I, I like to be high. It, it seems like you do a little better getting away from their eyes and ears that way. And I, the heights don't bother me a bit. I'm a construction worker, so I'm used to scaffolding. It. Right. 30 feet doesn't seem very high to me. <laughs> so, yeah, I got settled in, and it was windy but i felt plenty safe it didn't seem like my tree was trying to get away from me and it had barely broken daylight and i seen a one doe slipping into that little three acre thicket she going by me at about 30 yards on a common trail and maybe 15 minutes later another doe did i seen another doe coming and she had two more behind her so half hour after shooting light and i had four does bedded within 60 yards of me on this little thicket and that's a pretty good sign on november 4th we got yeah. All those live decoys right in front of you. That's a great sign. I love that. Yeah, I actually I use a Evercalm from Conquest Sense. I, I put that on a base of the little tree about ten yards from me, just to usually distracts the deer and they go up to smell it. And I thought it could be a good chance to draw my bow while they were distracted. I had two smaller bucks come through ten minutes apart, fifteen minutes apart, shortly after the does. And they never quite made it far enough to catch the scent of the does. They smelled the Evercall and they come up and they rubbed all over that little tree and. Then they moved on. After they'd been gone probably 20 minutes, I was hoping they were far enough away I wouldn't rattle them right back in. I decided to do some rattling. I, actually, I made my I, I have my own rattle call. I made it a few years ago. I got tired of getting busted up in the tree, banging horns together, and yeah, deer, too many deer came in, and you know they'd, they'd either be able to tell when they stood out there that it was coming from a tree, or they catch you moving, or or when you come in so fast, you, you couldn't set the antlers down and pick your bow up in time. I just I was running in with problems, so I made I made my own rattle call that I hook on the bottom of the tree and I pull a string a couple inches and it, it rattles down there. Ah. I don't have much movement and the and the noise is down on the ground, and that's been working out great for me. That's that a I, great idea. I've, I've been using it. Well, I made it. My son's eight years old now, and the year he was born, I had a I stayed home with him, and I had a lot of downtime, so I kind of worked on it and got it just how I wanted it. So I've been using it for about six years now and I've now I got three bucks over one fifty with it and another one that makes Pope and Young and one year I didn't shoot anything. Just not for lack of opportunity, but started holding out for bigger ones. But yeah, it works it 
it's been good to me. And I actually, I, I started my own business a month or so ago. I've decided to make some and sell them because people have been asking me about them. Oh, wow. Why not? That's great. So, well, is, yeah. it, is it made of, of bone and antler or is it, is it just synthetic something or other? It's, it's synthetics. It's uh actually it's antler action products at my company. And it's, yeah, it's, it's going to be, I think you'll see it out there quite a bit. It's, it's, a, you know, it's pretty innovative. There's nothing out there like it. And it's, it's synthetics, but I've tested a lot of plastics and a lot of, a lot of different parts. And I think it's going to work pretty well. And actually I've already been filming me using the prototype out in the woods and I've rattled two Pope and young bucks in with it already this season. So. Oh, wow. That's crazy. All right. Let's continue with yeah, the story. Yep. Um, so the, as soon as they went away, I, I rattled for probably two to three minutes. It was, it was about seven twenty, and. I thought, well, I'll wait till eight o'clock and I'll rattle again if, if nothing responds. And it wasn't, it was less than five minutes. And from kind of off in the direction the does came, I seen a, a deer, but the does were, you could tell they were making a line straight for the thicket. And this deer wasn't following their path. It was, I don't know if it ever even quite crossed theirs or not, but it was, it headed directly at me. And I just seen it coming. I, all I could tell was it was a big deer. And when it got to about 50 or 60 yards, I could see the rack and I was like, well, that's a buck. And it, there was a scrape there at about 45 or 50 yards and when it got there and started working the scrape I could it was moving enough that I could see it was definitely a shooter now I still didn't know how big but I seen it had enough antler to definitely justify me getting my bow up and and as soon as it stepped out from behind the, the little beech tree that was still leafed out the scrape was under I said oh gosh that's that's one of the big ones I didn't know which one of the two but I knew it was one of the two two monsters I had seen and at that point, it was either it was either going to take a trail that the does had that went 30 yards away from me into the thicket, or it was going to circle downwind of the thicket just to scent check it. And that trail was only 10 yards from me, so I I braced myself. And he as soon as he went behind the he went behind the last tree that would was big enough to really obscure his view at about 40 yards. And I drew then, and instead of taking the far trail, he took the one that was that was going to come by me at 10 yards. And it was it was it was really odd that there's a huge open spot all around me and one little 15 foot wide strip of nasty thick cover. And that big old buck walked right through that thickest spot he could possibly walk through. And his antlers were getting caught on everything. And he was just slamming and banging and cracking limbs. And I mean, it's unbelievable that a deer, an animal you think is so stealthy would make that much noise. I mean, he was obviously letting everybody know he was coming. (laughs) But but truthfully, even though he was making all that noise and obvious, that, that little strip of cover, I, I couldn't shoot at him until he was 12 yards away. I mean, I, with a gun, it would have been easy, but with a bow, I just, I didn't have any shot until he got into, I had two shooting lanes, one at 12 yards and one at 10 yards. And when he got into the first one at 12, I made the bass sound that everyone makes to try to stop him. And yeah. He paid no attention to me at all and kept right going. So it, I, I didn't try to stop him again. At, at 10 yards, I figured I can hit a walk in there pretty well. Sure. I, I released the arrow and shot it perfect. I, I seen the blood instantly come right out of the top of him. I seen the arrow go through and he didn't even run. He just, he about doubled his walking pace to a real, to like a, a, sli- a slow trot or a real fast walk. And I frantically tried to get another arrow out of my bow. Cause even though I seen the blood, I just, you know, you just never know. And I was, I was going to shoot again if I had the chance at all. I, I got another arrow out and knocked and by the time he got 40 yards away, I was a full draw and just looking for a spot through the brush just to try to, I mean, I knew he was hit. I wasn't, I wasn't looking for the perfect shot at that point. I was going to take any shot I could get just to get another arrow in him. Yeah. And while I was trying to do that, I seen him start staggering and he took a few crazy side steps and went down and 
that's when I kind of, I mean, I, I don't, you know, I was excited before that and pumped, but I, until then, I, I think I was under in control <laughs> at that point. <laughs> so I, as soon as he fell, I, I, I sat down for out of pure necessity. I, I, I couldn't, I, I know it took me at least three tries to hang my bow on the bow hanger. <laughs> I was just, just trying to, you know, replay in my mind what I had just seen. Cause I, was that really as big as you thought? I mean, cause I, I couldn't quite wrap my head around it. I, I instantly got my phone out and texted my dad. I just shot a booner, biggest deer I've ever seen. So uh, I don't know what else to say. And but but he's down. I watched him fall. And I I couldn't. I could see the deer's white belly where he laid, but I couldn't really see his rack. Yeah. So I I sat in the tree for I don't know forty five minutes after that. Just sat there and two more bucks came through while I was sitting there, <laughs> and they never they never found that buck or or bothered the does or anything. I, the does never never even got up through all of this. So they never got up. I, they were just that quiet. That's crazy. Yeah, they were bedded the whole time. They just stayed there. And I mean, I don't. After I crawled down out of the tree, uh, the brush was thick enough. I couldn't see what they did then. But the whole time I was in the tree, they they never moved, and nobody ever bothered them. Hmm. Fascinating, but, fascinating, and in, in deer deer movement and activity. That's uh, and and that's interesting that they just wouldn't move. That's awesome. Carry on. And so, this, this woods has ten, at least ten people hunt this this 40 acre woods it it gets so much pressure and everybody already had their spots and the spot i hunt there's not a stand within a couple hundred yards of me and no one's ever ever bothered me back there and and it just shows when i when i walk in there that that was the second day i had hunted the stand that year and the first day i hunted it i passed up a 120 inch eight point and that was early season i just wanted to make sure the stand was good and the lanes were good and everything was, was as it should be and then i left it alone for you know, over a month. And yeah, I, so I crawled down after, after I waited about 45 minutes, I, I lowered my bow down and, and I crawled down and I took my, <laughs> same thing I always do. I figured, well, I took all my scent clothes off and put them in, in the Ziploc bag in my, inside of my backpack, packed them away like a, like a scent control nerd. <laughs> I put all my stuff away and, and instead of just running into the deer, I figured I might as well just follow the blood trail and enjoy it a little bit longer. And, I went over and found my arrow and pulled it out and you know, broadhead still stuck firmly in the dirt. It was fine. I I followed the trail. It's easy as hell. I could, I could have blind man could have followed it. I walked it across the small creek and the creek was a little backwater there and the creek was still stained, just a beautiful pink color. And I just kind of prepared myself for ground shrinkage, you know, coming right. up. I knew we fell right over the creek and I'm just preparing myself. So I know it's a shooter, but just hoping it was really as big as my mind thought. And when I, when I actually looked at it there on the ground, I was just like, I was in awe. It was bigger than I thought. Wow. Like, oh, it was, I, was, I don't ever recall walking up to one and being surprised at how big it was. I've, I've been disappointed a couple of times, but never, never so happy at the, at the size of it. I, <laughs> I was like, it has to be 200 inches. And I just turned around and looked away from it for a minute. And you know, I kind of said, get a hold of yourself. It's, you know, you're, kind of being crazy look at it again and i look back and i was like man it's even bigger this time <laughs> it was amazing i i certainly felt blessed i, I didn't, didn't quite know how to say it was the most nervous i've ever been in the 20 minutes i had to leave it alone laying there in the woods while i went home to get my three-wheeler to help me track it out I old bet. antique three-wheeler <laughs> <laughs> i bet that must have been nerve-wracking as heck trying to yeah i, I, I called the game warden before i gutted it or moved it or anything and asked him if he'd come out and you know supervise the kill site and check everything out and, you know just because i knew there could be talk about it because I didn't know quite know how big it was, but I knew it was big enough that it was the kind of deer that rumors get started about. So I, 
I called him to try to see if he'd come out and help me with the recovery. And but unfortunately, he said he couldn't. He was it was he was busy on some calls, but he you know I, he knew who I was and where I was hunting, and he assured me there wouldn't be any problems. You know, he's just happy that I informed him. And, gotcha. and then I tried to sneak the deer out of there without anyone of the other hunters catching me. Yeah, because <laughs> I didn't really want them to know that it went great till I got I was just loaded into the truck and a guy pulled in and I. Uh, jumped out and oh my and he had his camera and started taking pictures and well <laughs> uh, dang it needless to say there's i don't have the there's there's plenty of stands within 200 yards of me now i bet so that's the spot's essentially been ruined for me i just you know but uh, i wouldn't i wouldn't give the deer back to save the spot that's for sure so right. i just had to write that one off to everyone else and move on but yeah i did i do notice that i i did buy a new vehicle this year and that helps because I noticed I was wherever I would sit along the road with my truck with my spotting scope this summer, I'd notice that hunters were stopping and talking to me and looking at what, you know, all the time. And I'm, well, that's <laughs> no good. That's that's not going to keep my, any of my spots to myself at all. So <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. I got, yeah. You're, you're probably being followed most likely. Yeah. Just in the, just in the local area. I mean, everybody that yeah. knew what I drove and they, Figured they just let me do the scouting for them, <laughs> but yep. now it's it's definitely been a blessing. I um you know I I don't know what else to say about it. Um, I feel very grateful just for for having the opportunity. I'm and, and I'm glad I managed to put the arrow where it needed to go. I said I'd never forgive myself. That's a great story, Mark. Just awesome. Well done. Very well done. So if Thank you, you I appreciate it. if you had one hunting book or magazine that you dedicate yourself to to following or reading, which one would that be? Uh, it's it's bow hunter for sure. I'm a I'm a bow hunter at heart. I, I enjoy the muzzleloader and and I, I will go shotgun hunting. I don't have a problem with that. That's good for camaraderie because bow hunting to me is a very personal kind of isolated sport. I mean, I, it's one on one, and I that's the way I like it. Now, gun hunting, that's a that's a time when I'll go down with my cousins and family and um you know, if I'm not completely scent free, well that's okay. I'm not I haven't shot a deer a buck with a gun in fifteen years at least, so I'm and I have no intention to doing so. So that's you know, that's more of a time for family and, and that stuff. So I'm a bow hunter at heart and, and I really like Bow Hunter magazine. I like the way it's way it's edited. I, I like the editor, uh, Kurt Wells. He's he's a good guy and he you know, I, every time I've dealt with him, it's he's really been straightforward and helpful, and you know, and he's he did everything he said he was going to do and more. And yep, uh, so that's what I would have to say. That's your magazine. Not that Thank I have a really problem with anyone else, but I that's that's the magazine that's that's summed up what I'm doing out there, I guess. Gotcha. All right, so that's your magazine of preference. Now we all have these lucky charms or pacifiers that we like to bring in our bag, and um, everybody seems to have a different one just to kind of feel comfortable out there. Other than your your weapon, what's that one thing you have to bring in the woods with you? Well, as far as the lucky charm goes, mine's ridiculous. It's a it's a two inch tall plastic minion that my son gave me, <laughs> and I, I have that hanging on the outside of my backpack, a little blue and yellow guy, and uh, that reminds me that there's more you know, not not to take it quite as serious as I normally as I would without it. That you know there's more important things in the world than me getting that big deer that that little guy's at home waiting for me. And that that's the reason to make sure to put my safety harness on and, and just, you know, to just make sure that I'm doing everything that, that I need to do to come home to him while I'm out there. 
I think that's probably the most important thing. But but I do like having a range finder. I get I get bored and you know I'll shoot the I like to estimate how far away is that and I'll you know and I'll take it out and I'll shoot it and just to work on that in the field because when the deer comes there's no generally there's no time to take your range finder out then so it helps me practice getting good on field estimating and of course I've already shot 20 trees in the area so any tree the deer walks by I already know how far he is right right oh that's fantastic and if uh, if you could pick one hunting tip let's say of all the hunting tips you could give what's your number one hunting tip of all time oh my you're not going to kill that deer sitting on your couch <laughs> i guess that's probably the biggest one if you if you're not out in the woods you know you have no chance <laughs> and yeah i'll yeah. tell you what and, and the best time for me to do scouting is either right now or as soon as the snow melts or so i i do a lot of scouting in march okay and early april that's all the sign from last year still visible, and you're not going to worry about bumping that big buck. Then you can stumble right into his bedroom and not bother him a bit. On all the signs laying right there for you, that's. Uh, I think that's an opportunity a lot of people miss out on when they do all their scouting in the fall. It's great right now to go out and do it, but you're also scaring every deer you're trying to hunt. You can stomp all over that woods in March and April and find out all the trails. They're going to use the same trails next year they used last year. You know, find all that stuff in March when you don't have to worry about scaring everything and get your stands up early. That's right. That's an excellent, excellent tip. So, Mark, where can we find you, like on social media, if we had more questions or people listening to the show, if they wanted to reach out to you, could they do that? And if so, how would they do so? Well, I I don't have a I don't have a Twitter feed or anything yet, but I, I am on Facebook and I'm I'm more than happy to respond to anybody that wants to send me a, anything on Messenger or, you know, and I accept friend requests pretty readily until, until I max out. I, I try not to turn anyone down and, sure. unless they do something on the site that's offensive and then I will delete them, of course, but um, of course. I give everybody a, a fair chance and I'm, I, I like people and I'd be happy to talk with anyone that wants to spend their time talking with me. Excellent. And if, if uh, we wanted more information about your product, your, your uh, antler setup, what was the name of that again? It's a antler action products. That's the name of the company. Okay. And can, a, we, can we find that on Facebook as well, or is, is it just have to go through you? Um, you'd have to go onto the website for that. Uh, I haven't, there is a, I do have a link to my Facebook page for it on the site. And I don't know, there's some, we have a few other products that are coming out. We, we only have two that are really, I'm sure you've seen the little bleak cans everyone uses. Yes. The little, yep. you turn them over and they bat. Yeah. Oh, we have a, a product that you can also put the bleed on the ground, down at ground level, so you don't have to use that up in the tree as well just, okay keep the sound on the ground that's pretty much the that's pretty much our motto you know keep the deer looking at the ground not looking up in the trees gotcha that's i love it i think that's a great strategy that's one probably one of the best strategies we've heard dusty do you have any questions for mark before we let him go no i don't mark and a great story by the way and awesome buck well, thank you very much I, I appreciate it hope i have more buck stories in the future <laughs> yes we hope we hope to have you back on the show to tell the story of another amazing buck and um mark it's been an honor and a pleasure and you tell a great buck story and you're one heck of a good hunter and uh, that's you're on that far end of the spectrum of the great so uh keep doing what you're doing and let's uh, let's stay in touch and 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 uh let's tell some more deer stories hey well, thank you very much both you guys for, for having me on the show i i appreciate it uh it's an honor and anytime for anything, feel free to get a hold of me. I'm, I've am i got plenty of time and nothing I like better than uh, telling deer stories with a couple of nice guys like yourselves. 
So how full is your notebook after listening to Mark? I tell you what, I got actually uh, about two pages worth of information from Mark. You know, there's never enough information to to give you that leading edge on on hunting mature whitetails. You know, and coming from a guy that's that's killed a magnificent buck, you know, you you kind of tend to pay attention a little bit to that. You know, anybody can shoot a, a monster buck like Mark did, but uh, you know, the, the, it seems that with the knowledge that Mark's talked about over this last hour here, he, he kind of has a good system and a plan for hunting mature bucks. I think he puts a lot of time and energy and effort into thinking about every little aspect of the hunt and how to eliminate him from the woods such that he is simply non-existent there other than he is there to kill. And But to the deer, to the animals around him, nobody knows he's there, which I think makes him super successful. In fact, I know he just shot another nice deer a couple of days ago. Right, yeah, and it's uh, very interesting that he puts that much detail into it, you know, and there's got to be a higher success rate because of the detail to the scent control and how he goes in and out. And, you know, it, it's something that uh, really was something I put to the wayside. And then, if, you know, probably six, eight years ago, I really started focusing on scent control. and mm-hmm. it, It's definitely paid off. And, you know, listen to Mark talk, it's just things that I try to do here and there. But, uh, man, it just seems like the more and more you hear about that sin control, the more success right. stories we're hearing. You know, what? <laughs> I am guilty as charged. I will listen to some of our guests, and I get so ramped up when I hear what they're doing, how, and I see how successful they are. And uh, I'll pick up on a product that they're using, and I will rush right out to Amazon, and I'll order it. I've got my, I think it's called, and I'm during the note session here, I've got my Tink's um, B-Tech on the way, the, the scent eliminating spray, because that's what Mark used. Right. So that's it's probably, I don't know if it works or not, but I swear, the first thing I do after I listen to some of these shows, I jump on Amazon and I order one product that they used that I thought made the difference in their hunt. Guilty as charged. Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of listeners that uh, same thing. You know, you just, you just never know that. There's always something, one little thing that, that really could take your hunt to the next level. And, and that's no kidding, you know. Everybody's guilty of hearing about something and going and purchasing it and trying it out. But, you know, if it's working successful, why not? I agree. I agree. Some of those things work and some don't. And you won't know unless you try. So that's what I do. So, Dusty, uh, after your stint in New Hampshire and now that you're back home, uh, do you have a specific Chubby Tines tip of the week for us this week? Yeah, I do. You know, and it's it's going to it's going to come from experiences that I had in New Hampshire and experiences that I have here in Ohio. You know, and, and I'm going to compare the two. And in a way, it's it's really good that uh, I went out there and experienced how how the rest of the world hunts, especially you guys there in New Hampshire, Jay. And it uh, you know it really clicked a light on in my head that. Um, you know, there's times that I really did ride you thinking that deer hunting New Hampshire was similar to Ohio, and I, I, I had no clue. Mm. And uh, that, that's something that, uh, as a hunter to another hunter, um, you know, re- really think about something before you talk about it. Because if, if you don't know what's going on in their woods, you, you, you might be bashing on something and, and beating somebody up over something that they really can't do nothing about. And, and, that, and it's truthful. Um, you know, I'm guilty of it. I rode you, rode you a little bit about not killing a deer. And once I got out there and started hunting with you guys, there's a reason why you didn't kill a deer. <laughs> I think you referred to it as tag soup. As yeah. I <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and, 
not that I'm throwing out a full blown apology because you know, we like to cut on each other a little bit, but <laughs> uh, in a sense, I am uh, be, because of the fact of going to New Hampshire really gave me um, a clearer view on what the hunting is out there. And man, it's tough. And, uh, you know, I'll say it over and over again that I never would have dreamed that I'd went three days, New Hampshire whitetail bear hunting that I wouldn't have seen a whitetail to shoot at. And, uh, you know, when I left out there, I drove down from New Hampshire to New Jersey. Um, man, I thought about it the whole way. I'm like, man, it's, that's tough in New Hampshire. Yeah. I'm it's, sure, it's, sure you uh, saw a bunch of deer along the way back to New, New Jersey, right? No. No. Interesting. Usually see saw a bunch one of, dead, one dead deer on the side of the road and that's all I saw. But you know, that that's my tip of the week before yeah. you, before you judge somebody for being successful or not, know the situation that they're in and I'm guilty of it and I'm admit to it that, uh, you know, it, it, it really everywhere in the world is a different way of hunting and different level of animal that, that's, uh, you know, the population's not in the area. And, you know, and like I said, I'm, I'm guilty of it myself. And before you, before you go ripping off the mouth, you better get yourself in their boots and go for a hike in their woods. Duly noted. I think that's some very good advice. And, and, you know, I, I could probably cut up on you a little bit if I wanted to about Ohio, but it's, um, it would be an exact opposite. You know, I don't even know how I do it, but I'll come <laughs> up with something. Right. Um, but no, I can't wait to get to Ohio and hunt with you. I don't know if it's going to happen this year, but I certainly want to plan for it next year because it's, it's long overdue. Oh yeah, for sure. And you know, it's, uh, it's something that, uh, the, the opportunity, you know, and it could be the same way here, unlikely, but could be the same way here. You come here and not see anything. Right. But that there's that chance that you come here and you and you smoke a hundred and fifty, hundred and sixty, seventy, eighty inch deer and, and have a buck of a lifetime to take home with you. Right. And, you know, and that's not something that's gonna happen in New Hampshire. Yeah and there's one other thing I wanted to point out, Dusty, before I say thank you again to Mark Hammer. You brought a a backstrap and a tenderloin with you from a deer in Ohio that you shot. Correct. And for a couple of years now, I mean, I, I had made some venison jerky for you, and you thought it had this this kind of acidic tang to it, and almost what you would find in a over seasoned or over ripe piece of meat. And turns out, as we did a taste comparison, um, that it's just it has to be related to what the deer in New Hampshire eat. They eat hemlock, the acorns. They very rarely eat hay. Sometimes they'll get into it. They have no soybeans. They have no corn. For the most part, unless it's some kind of supplemental feed, but it's not not a routine diet thing. Whereas your deer are eating a lot of a lot of soy, a lot of beans, a lot of corn. And when you brought that to the to the plate after we cooked it on my grill, it had a flavor of nuttiness and lean beef, and it was one of the most intense flavors I'd ever had. But it did not have the acidic tang that I'm used to having from New Hampshire bound whitetail. Right. You know, and that, that, that becomes all what the, what the animal actually digests and what the actual meat picks up the flavor of, you know, and that's what it boils down to. It was phenomenally delicious. I, I'm still thinking about it every day. Like since you left, I'm like, that was, so if my whitetail venison could taste like that all the time, I would not give it away. I would not think about donating. I would eat it wholeheartedly all the time, and my family would too. Now, I like the taste of our venison for the most part, but there are a lot of people around me that don't like it at all because it has that 
that little tang to it, and they don't like that. Right, yeah. So the gaminess, it, it, I guess, is what they refer to it as. Right, and it's it's something that it's one of the things where it's almost non-believable unless you've tried it. And I, I, and this, this is, this confirms when I had that 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 the meat from Lane Benoit's last buck when I sat down with Paul Paul Dupuy at his cabin and we had a a final dinner. That buck from Wisconsin did not have any of that tang. And I could have swore that Paul put some beef in there, but he didn't. And this confirms that for me is that the stuff you brought from Ohio, it was a younger deer. It actually had a a slightly better flavor. What I ate that night with Paul Lane's last buck was actually an older buck. This was better only because it was younger, but man, oh man, Dusty, you have lots of deer you can shoot multiple deer every year, and the the flavor of what you get to experience in venison is astonishing. It's ap- I, I'm so envious, and this is why I need to find time to get to Ohio to hunt. Yeah, for sure. And uh, you know, it, it's not just um, what do I want to say. A, a riding buck, a big mature buck here in Ohio, gets a little bit of the New Hampshire flavor. Okay. But once the rut's over, it, things calm down and it starts eating normal and gets that testosterone level back down. It, it's still pretty good, you know. Uh, it's a little bit tougher. I mean, obviously, you had a real tender young deer. So, man, it was uh, – I brought the, the premium of the premium as far as backstrap here in Ohio out to you. And, uh, you know, you, you got a quality cut of meat there and it really had a, a killer flavor to it. And, and all of our deer are like that. Um you know, when I say a buck here has uh, a different flavor, I'm sure it's still nothing compared to what New Hampshire has. It's not even close. I'm sure it was. It was some of the most delectable meat I've ever had. Period. Never mind that it was from game. It was. It was unbelievable. I mean, and granted, we did a pretty good job cooking it, but you had the foundation of a great piece of meat. Oh yeah, for sure. Yep, absolutely. Yep. And that that traveled. 14 hours in a cooler <laughs> in the back of your camper. You it was know, still it, it was still amazing. <laughs> it sat in my refrigerator for two days. It was phenomenal. Right. Just don't get that normally. Right. It's, uh, it's pretty cool that our deer tastes so good. It's tough, you know. People ask all the time, hey, you got any extra deer meat? And I'm like, yeah. You know, uh, uh, I'm thinking in my head, right? No, not at all, really. I, right. I worked hard to, to kill this critter, and I'm going to eat all this critter I killed. Right. It's, it just blow, blew my mind. But thanks for bringing that up. I, I really enjoyed that. It's, my, even my family enjoyed it. And, you know, it just doesn't get any better than breaking bread at the table with some kind of meat from uh, from your other parts of the world. Just amazing. Yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah. We'll do it again sometime. <laughs> There's no doubt about that, my friend. I, I think you'll enjoy fresh versus travel. <laughs> I agree. I agree. <laughs> Uh, well, thanks again to Mark Hammer for joining us on the Big Buck Podcast. Dusty, where can we find you when you're not hanging out here with me on the mic or you're joining me on a hunt in New Hampshire? You can hit me up at uh, facebook.com forward slash chubby tines outdoors. You can also facebook.com forward slash chubby gobbler for your turkey hunters. And if you want to hit me up on Instagram at chasing antler. Jay, where can the people reach out to you when me and you's not in the New Hampshire whitetail woods or we're on the mic? <laughs> All right. So the best place to contact us is j at bigbuckregistry.com. That's our email address. Then if you'd like to show off your latest kill and you'd like to be popular for a day, uh, famous for a day, go to bigbuckregistry.com forward slash my buck. 
there all the instructions are right there for you to partake in displaying your buck and being proud of what you did for that season in front of uh we're almost at two hundred thousand followers right now um if you'd like to follow us on twitter we're at twitter.com forward slash big buck registry and if you could if you love this show and you're on iDevice, please do a search for big buck registry and then leave us a review or uh, if you are not subscribed to this show yet, please, please, please subscribe. And that'll help us maintain our rankings in iTunes. And coming soon to Google, you'll be able to find us on the Google Play Store. And as soon as Google launches their podcast, we've already been accepted to their list. And we're just waiting for them to come out with their new podcast directory for Google and Android devices. Finally, if you like the show and you'd like to contribute to the well-being of the show go to bigbuckregistry.com forward slash pledge where you can pledge your support and finally if you have a kill and like our good friend jay watt did today give us a call at 724-613-2825 and leave us that exhilarating moment just after the kill we'd love to hear it and we'll play it right here on the Big Buck Podcast for you to listen to, and you can play it back for all your friends as you're listening to this podcast. I'm Jay Scott. And I'm Dusty Phillips. And this is the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Deer Hunting Podcast. See you next week. Can't wait.